Church family, good to be with you today. Uh, first of all, you, you encouraged me. Uh, last week, we were blessed by what the Lord brought here, that missions conference. I want you to know, Priscilla and I, being missionaries and getting to celebrate with the church last weekend, uh, we've done this before. And we were in Auburn, Auburn, Alabama, and we were in North Spartanburg, South Carolina. Now, folks, those are mega churches. I mean, those have got thousands of members. And we're there for a mission weekend just like you all had last, last or we had. I was part of it with you last weekend. And to see what God is doing through the lives that have been sent out and that are known by this church, I trust was an encouragement to you as it was to me. Because what I got to enjoy was just hearing God's story of, you know, people said, well, I was here at Emporia, or I know people here in Emporia, and now what God is doing beyond here. And just to celebrate that. So this week, I've traveled a little bit, and everywhere I've gone, I've said, but y'all, we need to have other churches discover what's going on at 12th Avenue in Emporia. Because if a church would remember, we were sent out. I mean, our home church before we went to Africa, first one was College Heights Baptist Church in Manhattan. The second one was, help me, Priscilla, Shiny Heights, thank you. Shiny Heights Baptist Church in Topeka on 29th Street. I still know people in those churches, but they don't remember. They don't call us back. We never celebrate what God's doing, not only through what we did, but through the lives of other people. And so I just want to begin this morning by saying, uh, church, you're a bit unusual. And just to see how God is using you as a community of believers, as people have sensed God's leadership in their lives and gone on, maybe from here. I see some folks that have gone on and come back and retired here. People that are working here in Emporia making a difference. You didn't do it. The Holy Spirit, I'm going to say that God's behind all of that, but you're not oblivious to his work. And for that, I just want to celebrate a little bit. So this morning, we all got an extra hour of sleep. And I don't believe it, I get 45 minutes to (laughs) be with you. I don't think I'll take that long this morning, but I trust that uh, that extra hour of sleep, as we're getting ready to get into Thanksgiving season, And then the Christmas holidays out in front of us, uh, that for each one of us, this is a special time of year as we're getting ready to celebrate the God giving us Jesus. And so we're back in the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to do something with you today that I've never done with you. We're going to do a whole, a whole, a half of a chapter, a whole half of a chapter. We're going to do 13 verses. And so I want to ask you to stand. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 3, starting verse 1, down through verse 13, to see what God has for us in the life of Paul. So here's what God's Word says. Here's what Paul shares with us. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you've heard the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, 
as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ, Jesus, through the gospel. And of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who wants to reveal yourself. You want us to know you. You're not hiding. And in different seasons of our lives, as well as the story of mankind with you, you have shown yourself in different ways. And Father, I pray this morning, as we, we consider what was on Paul's heart, speak to us. Help us understand a man who is excited about you and literally giving himself to serve others so that they can know you like he does. And so, Father, help us catch that vision in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Well, I hope you're buckled up today because it's different. We started the book of Ephesians. I've been with you now since May, I think, early May. And we've been going through this letter to the church in Ephesus where Paul is writing the only letter without a problem. He's talking to a church to help them understand what God's up to. And starting in chapter 1, verse 3, we get the longest sentence. I've told you that week after week. And those seven rocket verbs of all that he's doing. Then he prays for the church. And then we get into chapter 2 where he's helping us realize, okay, who are we that make up the church? You know, we've got a different DNA. We're separated from God. We've got a, we've got a leader, one who speaks to us called the evil one. We were in his world, every one of us, and Paul even includes himself in that, saying, no, I was on a wrong path, just like you were. And yet God has called us out to be into a community of people that know him and want to walk with him. And then as he ends chapter 2, that's where we've been. He starts to define what the church is. And so he starts chapter 3. He only uses this two times in the whole New Testament. He's going to use a phrase. And this week, we start the, the time in God's Word with this phrase. And next week, we're going to go back to it. 
The phrase is for this reason. Now, I don't know about you, but I had a mama who liked to help me understand for this reason. If I didn't understand what mama wanted and I tried to get, well, ma, how come I have to eat my oatmeal? Or she'd help me understand that. She never, she didn't use the words for this reason, but it's good for you. I've cooked it. Uh, this is going to help you stay warm today during the winter. Uh, I want you to be eating this oatmeal for this reason. I want you to get it, what I'm putting before you. And so here we have a man who's in prison, and he's there for a reason. He's there uh, locked up because of what he believes and how that so turned Jerusalem upside down. And then they were going to pull him apart, and the Romans got involved, and they took him. They got him in Jerusalem, I mean in Rome, and he's in prison, and he's defining life. And so we get those first two chapters. And so the for this reason, let's just go back a little bit. For this reason, he says, for this reason, you all are citizens. We're in something that has never been before. Since the creation of the earth, since before the foundation of the earth was laid, God's plan over all of time was to invite you to be a citizen under his lordship, under his rule, under his direction in life. Not only are we citizens, we're members of the family. Now, y'all, I hope you take seriously Tuesday. I hope you go vote. And it's a responsibility that we have. And we're citizens of a country, and we get the opportunity to express one little opinion. Uh, you get to express yours. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do mine. I'm going to go get in that little place and tick a box. But in this kingdom that we live, our citizenship is a total different kind than we have what we currently live in our country or any other country. We are members of a family. And we've lost that in our culture. We're not talking family anymore. If we are, we're, we're a pretty ordinary family, the way we're fighting among each ourselves. But in God's kingdom, he says, first of all, you're citizens of my kingdom. Secondly, you're members of my family. I'm going to treat you as my, I'm your father, you are my children. And I want you to be in that kind of a loving relationship that I've got from you. And then third, he says, and by the way, you have to take this by faith. You're a temple. No longer is there a building in Jerusalem. No longer is there a special place on a hill in Samaria. No longer is there any place to go to to get extra me. I am building you into be my temple that wanders around this broken world. And that's my plan. And I want to dwell in you. Now, church family, that's why I thought last week was so encouraging. We got to hear how God is dwelling in people that we know that were sent out from this church and that are now working among the nations of the world, and we just celebrated that for a weekend. And Paul's saying, no, 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 this is a lifelong thing. I want to invite you, your citizens, your members of the family, you're a living temple but most importantly, my plan, God's plan for us is that he would dwell 
among us, his people. And so for that reason, I. You notice something different there? Two chapters. Paul's been going from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to the end of chapter 2, the very last word, and he never used the word, I. That's why I said get buckled up, because he's getting ready to change. For the first two chapters, Paul just can't hold it in his heart. All that he knows and experiences and loves about who God is, and he's just shared that. He's opened, <laughs> reminds me of dumping a wheat truck. You open that back into that truck, and you just watch that grain coming out, and they lift in that bed, and it's just flowing out into that elevator. That's what he's done with who God is to him until now. We're getting ready for a change. We're not talking about God. Nope. We're now starting to talk about his own experience. I hope you've not been bored for two chapters, but Paul's going to change on us today because in these 13 verses, six times he says, I. Five times he says, mine. Once, no, five times he says, me. One time he says, my. In 13 verses. The subject is totally gone. It's, he's now talking about how did God impact his life. And in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, we have the longest sentence. Now, I haven't read this anywhere, but here's a little sap theology. In chapter 3, we have the longest ramble. We've got, once he says, I, Paul, good night. Put a parenthesis on that side and go clear over here down to the verse 13 and put another parenthesis. Because he gets lost. Because what he's going to say, look down if you've got your Bibles, I don't have it on the screen. But look down in verse 14, he's going to say, I, Paul, I now bow my knee. That's where he's getting started in chapter 3, verse 1. 13 verses of ramble. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when people ramble, I tune out. I just kind of take a step back and say, well, whatever you got to say, you know, just let it, just do your thing, say what you got to say. Well, I want, to, I want us all to kind of huddle up here around this man who's a prisoner. He's going to talk about that. The next thing he's going to say, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus. So we got a prisoner who is defining what keeps him going. And this ramble starts in verse 1, but it's going to end in verse 13. So the verb, I, Paul, ask. Verse 13. That's where he's headed. He's saying, I, Paul, ask you to do something, or to, to notice he said, I ask you not to lose heart. And so it dawned on me that we've got 13 verses of ramble about how Paul doesn't lose heart. How a man who's locked up in jail facing the death sentence can say, I am a prisoner of. I'm not a prisoner for. Let me go back and make sure I've got my words right. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I have some trouble defining my life like this. Sometimes I start to feel like a victim. And it would be real easy for Paul to feel like a victim. Because he was in Jerusalem, he took, he took an Ephesian, a guy from this town down there, and things blew up because the Jews falsely accused him of taking a Gentile into the temple. And that's what got him in trouble. And so it would be easy to say, well, you know, here I, I was falsely accused. I'm being mistreated. But Paul didn't go there. You see, he's way ahead of what God's up to. You see, God's up to something so big that it takes him 13 verses to ramble about it. It's taken him two chapters just to define who God is and what God does for us. But he says, now I, Paul, a prisoner of. Some of you in this room, and I'm married to one of them, some of us in this room are grandparents, grandmothers. Yeah, eight of them. Very special in our family. We are grandparents of the Lord Jesus. Man, I want to say that. I want that to be a reality in our experience. Some of you are employees of Christ Jesus in the place where you work. I want to be a husband of Christ Jesus married to Priscilla. To let him define who we are is what Paul, he's got this figured out. And it's carrying his life through prison. And so as he looks out on this church, he can't see it, but he's in his little prison place. And he's he's been there. He knows Ephesus. And he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, I'm his. He's got me here. And I'm not upset. On your behalf. Now, oh my goodness, I'm a prisoner on behalf of you. That word behalf means because over you, because of you, in accordance with what God has planned for you, I am in prison. Let's go back to the role each one of us carry. As a grandfather of the Lord Jesus on behalf of my eight grandchildren. That means that maybe I'm going to spend my life a little different. Maybe my priorities change in the way I live today. Maybe the fact that it'll be Tuesday, it won't be Monday, I'm going to be here on Monday, but on Tuesday morning when I get in the car and go to my other day job, and I'm... And it, on behalf, I'm an employee on behalf of the Lord Jesus at KNCSB on behalf of the 470 churches that we try to work for. You know, there's some meaning going on here for Paul. He's defining what he's living for locked up in jail. And so that first thing that he wants us to understand when he says... For this reason, I want to ask you, don't lose heart. Is he starting by saying, here's why I'm not losing heart. Yeah, I'm locked up. Yes, I'm facing the death penalty. And by the way, on your behalf, I'm going to be executed. And he was. And he doesn't see his life as being wasted. He doesn't see his life as being lost. He sees his life of being 
God's investment in him to bring about his glory. And so, what keeps us going, first of all, is God's grace poured out on you. Now, that's two whole chapters. That's chapter 1 and chapter 2. Remember, over and over, I'd say, we didn't do it. We didn't do it. God does it all. The, the rocket verbs, everything that's in those first two chapters is what he has done over us. That's his grace. That's the goodness of God poured out for us. And Paul says, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. I, there's no way for me to know in this room what that means. The complicated web of relationships that are just represented in the few of us that are here together is God's grace on your life wasted. You see, Paul says it wasn't for him. He says, no, the stewardship, I, I'm a steward of it. God's given me something, and I want to use that grace that he's given me now. I'm, a, I'm his prisoner. I'm doing this. I'm his employee. I'm his grandparent. I'm his parent. I'm all the roles that we carry. With Christ in me, me and his world, I'm now stewarding his grace that he's poured out on me that took me two chapters to talk about. And so that grace... I want to steward that that was given to me for you. So first of all, God's grace showed Paul something he didn't know. Now, you know, I've been around the church a little bit. You've, I've told you my story more than once about it was in college where I started my personal relationship with Jesus Christ on an afternoon in January at about 3.30 in a dorm room is where I realized that I had never done that, agreed with God that I needed his forgiveness and I wanted to receive that grace. And that starts at one point in time. But I'll guarantee you there's a whole lot of life between back there in January of 1972 to today. And that grace that God has continued to pour out I want to, first of all, I want to be a steward of that. And secondly, I want to be a learner to realize that there was a whole lot of things I didn't know on January 22nd, 1972, that God has been revealing to me. And he speaks to me through his word. He speaks to me through people. He speaks to me through just, I mean, all kinds of ways God lets me hear what he wants me to understand about how to face life. And so Paul says, that stewarding of God's grace, I understood a mystery that other people had not known. Now, I had to think about this. Because remember in John chapter 3, this is before Paul. John chapter 3, Jesus is in Jerusalem with the rookie disciples. And a guy named Nicodemus shows up at night, and he says, look, who are you? We know you're different. You are some teacher sent by God. And Jesus, talking to him, says to him, first of all, you can't know that unless the Holy Spirit spoke to you. And then secondly, 
I'm here because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. Now, Paul says Nicodemus didn't get it. Paul says when Jesus was that night talking to the guy, a major Jewish leader who snuck off, he was embarrassed to go talk to Jesus. He's doing it at nighttime. And he's asking him, who are you? And Jesus says, God loves the whole world. Nicodemus didn't get it. That is such a barrier in faith, in religion at that time, that a Jewish man, when Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, the best teacher ever on earth, said, God loves the whole world. It didn't click. He didn't get it. And it took... The Holy Spirit speaking to Paul, not to Nicodemus, but to Paul, that this means the whole world is the whole world. That means those Gentiles that we don't like. That means those Gentiles that you, you pulled me apart for. I had, a, I had an Ephesian there in Jerusalem, and you guys tried to kill me because I had him just with me. I didn't take him in the temple. But God's plan is even that guy. That guy is invited to be a citizen. He's invited to be a member of the family. He's invited to be part of the temple, the, create, the creative work of God. This is a paradigm shift. And Paul says, God showed it to me. And he, didn't, he hadn't showed it to me. This mystery has been going on. But now he's revealed that mystery to me. And guess what? I'm stewarding what he's taught me. By giving it to you. I'm telling you the good news that you Ephesians, which you're Roman lovers, you know those temples where all the things that they do in those temples, that's not the way we find God. No, the way we find God is understanding what happened right there on that cross as God gave Jesus Christ for every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. And I'm stewarding that information to you. And so the first thing I want to remind us of is God doesn't waste his speaking to you. Paul says, I want to steward what God's given me. Last week, church, one more time, I was so encouraged to watch you steward the relationships that you have. You don't lose those relationships. Well, guess what? There's a whole lot more than that. Are each one of us stewarding what God has given us as he reveals himself to you in your life group. Boy, if you're not in one, please get in one. Get, because this thing that we do on Sunday morning for this hour and 15 minutes, it's one little part, but I'll guarantee you the better part is that small group that you can be in just to live life, discuss life, because this is a monologue. I talk to you, I don't get back. We don't, we don't discuss it. But stewarding what God shows you of himself, that's the challenge that Paul starts with. He says, I've stewarded God's grace. And because I've stewarded God's grace, life's worth living. I can be a prisoner in a place that a lot of people get a pity party. And I can be in here and be okay. Because I believe God's up to something bigger than I can see. And he's got purposes that are above mine. And I trust him with my life. 
And so point number one, his grace on your life is for other people. Your children, your, your parents. I mean, I have so enjoyed being with just learning stories of your lives here in Emporia, Kansas, of what God's up to in your parents, in your children, in your community, where you work, life. And I think to be a healthy body of Christ, every one of us in this room takes seriously his grace poured out on your life and you say, God, where do I, where do I steward this? Where do I pass it on to other people? And so the first challenge, I think, in this, these 13 verses is that his grace for me really is for you. Secondly, the manifold wisdom of God made known. This is special. There's two, there's two places in this passage, very unique words. The first one is, for this reason. We get it this Sunday. Next Sunday, we'll start again with that phrase. Manifold wisdom of God, nowhere else in the New Testament. And so look, we start in verse 8. Here's what Paul writes. He says, now this grace that I've been talking about was given to me to preach to the Gentiles. That grace was given so I could share with Gentiles that unsearchable riches of Christ. And so I'm going to share and bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, that God who created all things. So that through the church, this plate, this isn't a place, this is not a building. This is people in Emporia, Kansas. The church that Jesus has called together here, that I'm looking at a good number of you, that through this relationship we have with one another, as we grow in our relationship with him in a community, through us. Now, that's why church is kind of important. That's why we've got different experiences in life and we're living them together of his glory, his grace, those religious words that he's at work in us, that through the church, now here's what he says, the manifold wisdom of God. I thought about it, trying to get a rug. Manifold means multitudinous. It means it's usually with color. Lots and lots and lots of color. And so, my jacket's not a good example. Have you all seen the backside of a rug? We've got a rug from Afghanistan in our house. Her daughter was in Afghanistan for a while. And you turn the backside of that rug over, and you just see all these weird threads, and there's no pattern, and it's color. All these different little colors are there. But you turn it on the other side and you see the beauty of that Persian rug. Now that's what Paul's talking about. He said the manifold, the many-dimensioned, the many-faceted pieces of God's wisdom. Now, church, that's what makes me happy. You see, God's up to something bigger than we are. He's something way bigger than you are. But through all of us, there's the manifold. It's right now the season. I love the fall season, the different hues of orange and red and burgundy and brown. It's just beautiful when the sun's late in the afternoon and you get that sunshine through those leaves. There's just there's no way to explain it. I mean, people drive up to New England to get to look at it. 
those diversity of colors. And that's what Paul's saying. The manifold diversity of God's grace in this, his people. The assembled group of believers in Emporia. Of, he's at work. And that manifold wisdom of God through his church. Now look where it goes. Don't miss the third phrase. That manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Now, I'm so glad he was here last week. Because last week we were reminded our responsibility of evangelism, of talking to people about the good news of Jesus Christ, we're not responsible for their, for their response. That's between them and God. But our faithfulness to be obedient just to share those spiritual nuggets to discover if there's a person of peace around us, we're faithful to do that. And as he reminded us, here it is again, made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. There's an unseen world watching us as a people, watching you as a believer to see what you do with God's grace. And what God wants what he gets happy about, what thrills him and warms his heart is when your faithfulness is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now remember, one-third of those do not, do not want to give glory to God. And we as the lesser creatures, because we don't see him, we've, our faith, we believe as his spirit speaks to our heart, I listen to that and I say, I do believe. I need to do these things. I need to ask forgiveness. I need to go speak to someone. I need to find out if there's a person of peace that lives right down the street from us. And on Halloween, the night before Halloween, we found one. I hope that Scotty and Robbie will come over to our house. We'll have a dessert and take that conversation one click further. That person of peace thing really worked in Topeka, Kansas on Tuesday night. But that manifold wisdom of God is made known to that invisible world that is watching him. Two-thirds of them get happy. One-third of them say, oh my goodness, it's really working. That mystery of God's wisdom is working. People are believing him People are obeying him. I don't like that. If I need to define who's saying that, that's the evil one. He does not want us to fall in love more and more. He does not want us to steward that grace that we've been given. But that manifold wisdom of God that is so diverse and so colorful and deals with every life in this room, every life beyond here, that's how diverse God's grace is. That grace is at work in the lives of people and revealed to those principalities, those powers, and those authorities that are above us. I'm so glad that we heard last week we reminded about that because for a long time I've thought, oh, the rulers and the authorities here on earth, the different governments, 
They need to know. The Chinese government right now, it needs to know that what's going on in that underground church has validity. But no, Paul's not talking about that. Paul's talking about something higher than that. He's talking about the principalities and the powers that we don't see that do have a plan to keep us away from bringing glory to God, from recognizing, from bringing praise to him for what he's up to. And so, number one, what keeps us going? What keeps Paul going? First of all, his grace, he stewards it to other people. Secondly, what keeps Paul going, knowing that God is bigger than this situation we're in, that God is using his manifold wisdom, that colorful, multifaceted work with each person to reveal to those spiritual authorities that his wisdom is right. That's the second thing that he's up to. And then finally, the very last verse. Number three, God's glory through you. I get to see it. I want you to know that I trust that you've got a radar and that your little radar is watching the people around your life. I have a granddaughter. She's, what's Malia? Is she 11? Somewhere. She's 12 now. Got a little 12-year-old. A couple of years ago, she was dealing with fear at night. And Malia asked me, she, I've got a name, it's not Grandpa, but she asked me, Grandpa, what do you do when you're afraid? And I just had a verse, and we, it was in her little bedroom, and I want you to know that was one of those special moments. I got to look Malia in the eye, and I just got to quote her that verse, and I could tell the Holy Spirit worked. She heard it, and it clicked in her little heart, and she began to be a little different. That verse meant something to her. That's what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about, so I ask you, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering. For what I'm suffering is your glory. You're revealing God speaking to you. And so church family, where are the people around your life that God is using you in? And I'll guarantee you, it's for every one of us that have started that relationship with the Lord. I mean, even if it was last week you started that relationship with the Lord. He's got people around your life that he wants you to steward that grace to. And then you get to see it at work. One of the best things, Priscilla and I, I mean, how can you say one? We had a lot of good things in Africa. But one of them was to go back to George Sakala's village. 28 years before, we were in that village. That village hadn't even, I mean, it had a little brick place where people wanted to start to get together, but George was just a kid, probably older junior high, maybe younger high school kid, in a village totally different than what we're used to. 28 years later, for Priscilla and I to go back out to Japan, there's no way to talk to George. I thought, George had a cell phone. I show up. George's grandkids are at his hut. He's still living in the same place. I didn't know that. They call George on his cell phone. He's out doing his corn. George comes in, and we get a sit, and I'm telling you, we had a hallelujah moment. Just for me to hear what had happened in Kasala Village and changed because of God's working in George's life and the people in that village and how that church is now three times the size it was when I was there 28 years earlier and just get to see God's grace at work in the life of George Sakala. 
Now, that kind of stuff will keep you. you. You'll stay in it to see that. I just want to ask you, are you using your radar to just see where's God at work around the lives of the people? Maybe it's students. Maybe you've got students in your life. Maybe you've got family in your life. You've got neighbors in your life. You've got employees in your life. You've got employers in your life where you're just seeing where is God at work, and let's celebrate that. And so this morning, I've covered 13 verses. I want us to realize that Paul wants to ask you, don't lose heart. Let's stay in this for the rest of our lives. Some of you are placing right now. You walked in these doors today, and life's not easy. Some of you are dealing with health. Some of you are dealing with relationship issues. Some of you are dealing with just hard life. But I want you to know that there's been somebody who's gone before us. His name's Paul. And we can learn from him. We can learn, first of all, God's grace is not wasted. And that grace that you've got, no matter what size it is or how far along you are in your relationship, he wants to use that grace he's given you to bless other people. Jordan, I didn't know I'd do it, but I'm going to do it. This afternoon, we're going to get together with Jason and Jordan. And Jordan's already written some good stuff. And Jordan gave me an illustration that I want to share with you. And here's what Jordan wrote. Jordan says, God's grace is not a refrigerator. God's grace is an air conditioner. Now, here's what I like about that. A refrigerator is a self-contained unit. God didn't pour his grace on you to be like a little refrigerator and keep you all nice and cool and fresh and, and vibrant there. No. God's grace is like what happens. Now, I didn't get an air conditioner growing up. I had a swamp fan, you know, swamp, whatever, swamp cooler. Western Kansas is so dry, uh, you can use those crazy things because you get in front of that moist air, it is very, very comfortable. And so God's grace wants to be like an air conditioner or a swamp cooler in the right spot where that refreshment that comes through you goes into the lives of other people. He wants to use you. And that's to his glory, not yours. And so, church family, we had two chapters of who the Lord is, and now we get one chapter, chapter 3, this first part, is how not to lose heart. And next week we're going to see how, to, how Paul prays, what he prays over us. And so I want to ask you to stand. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to my heart, speak to your heart, so that this is more than just 45 minutes, 45 minutes of listening but that God would continue to speak to you where you live, in your relationships and who you are, about how he wants to steward his grace through you, to touch a lost world, to give glory to those realms of the unseen, that they can watch faithful people worshiping the Lord by being obedient and stewarding what God has done. And then I'm going to say, God, show us. Let us see your glory at work in the lives of other people where they're getting in on who you are. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are up to something so much bigger than we are. 
And that this divine conspiracy that you're up to, of your wisdom pouring your grace out on people that by faith believe you, and that, Father, you use that to show an unseen world those powers and those authorities that are above us that we don't see, you're letting them see that it works, that your grace changes people. And Father, I pray that this church would be stewards of all that you've given them in you. And that, Lord, for that, they would celebrate your grace at work in the lives of people around them. They're not here today, but God, that would be for your glory. And we thank you that you've invited us to be a part of what you're up to through your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. And so, church, my benediction today is out of Romans chapter 15, verse 13. And here's what Paul says to a a different church, not Ephesus, but Rome. And he writes, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that the power of the Holy Spirit might abound in you in hope. And so, go be the church.